shepherds. That's what it says. It says the first people he sent the heavenly messengers to and the first people he made heavenly messengers from were shepherds. Now, to people in the 21st century, that doesn't sound very weird or very relevant, but it's both, and I'll tell you why. Let me tell you especially why it's relevant to us. For 10 years, the folks in this church have been on a journey together. And the, and the essence of this journey has been we've been hoping and praying and watching God break into our lives in such a way that he is just as clearly seen out there as he is in here. Our prayer is, is that he would be um, <clears throat> so present in our regular life that we would be able to worship him as, as well and as often out there, more often than we do in here. But when I say break in, I mean break in. Let me tell you why that's required for folks such as us. I know the folks that go to this church, a lot of you, know you're just like I am. You're, uh, you're not the religious type. Um, and it's not that you don't love God. I know you love God. But when it comes down to the religious type, not many of us would categorize ourselves in that. And so it literally takes a breaking in of God. Well, the reason that we relate so well to these shepherds is because they were exactly the same kind of people. You know, we don't know much about shepherds in the 21st century. We just, for us, it's, it's kind of like a, you get a little caricature. You know, you, you, you watch kids play shepherds in a, in a play, in a nativity scene. Or uh, I had a, <clears throat> somebody, a friend of mine gave me a Peanuts book for Christmas, Charlie Brown. And in one of the cartoons, Linus goes to Snoopy. He's talking to Snoopy. And he's saying, Snoopy, <clears throat> I, I'm, I'm a shepherd in the Christmas play at school. And, uh, and, and this is when they used to have Christmas plays at school. And uh, <clears throat> just that became outdated real fast there, didn't it? I didn't think about that until just now. But he says, would you be my flock of sheep? And Snoopy, you know Snoopy, he was thinking. And finally he says, of course. One beagle is worth a whole flock of sheep anytime. <laughs> well, we don't, we don't think very much of shepherds, but they were a very real component of this society. But they weren't the most esteemed component by the religious community. It says in Luke chapter 2, verse 8, this. And in the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. You know, shepherding had had a wonderful history and it, it was a noble profession for many of the most profound religious leaders in his, Israel's history. Moses was a shepherd. David was a shepherd. Jesus pictured himself as a shepherd when he came. The problem was that to the religious people, shepherds were kind of not the religious type. They, they were, they were second-class citizens. Why? Well, I'll tell you why, and you see if this doesn't sound familiar to you. Shepherds were so busy trying to meet the demands of their daily routine that they did not have the time to stop and go through the many rituals that it would take them every day to make them pure in the Jewish religion. And so, therefore, they were discounted by the religious authorities as being not the religious type. Well, I can identify with that. I really can. 
You see, in this country, we have summarized religion in terms of whole segments of people rather than in terms of a personal relationship with God. And therefore, I'm not the religious type either. And neither are many of you. But listen to what God sent those shepherds. And listen to what God sends us. It says, an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone round them and they were terribly frightened. Now I've often thought, I wonder if we would have that same reaction today. You know, we've been so desensitized. We live in such a stimulated environment and, and laser shows and light shows and anybody that's been to Disney, you know, 30 times, I wonder if they'd really be astounded at something like this. My hunch is, yeah, probably, if you knew where it was coming from, you still would be pretty afraid. And the Bible says, the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, I know what you're sitting there. You're sitting there thinking, oh, man, every time I come on Christmas, they talk about good news here. Good news, good news, good news, good news. Okay, okay, it's good news. What's the, what's the big headline about this? Well, let me tell you why it's so important that we rethink, why we keep saying good news over and over again. Because some folks in here are in a position tonight where they can finally hear that. And they can finally say, you know, they're talking about me. They're talking about just exactly what I need. I was watching uh, <clears throat> television a couple of nights this week. And both nights I saw something pretty interesting one night I was watching Larry King interview somebody. Larry King really is a master at interviewing people. And, uh, and, and he was interviewing the Graham family, Billy Graham and, his, and two of the kids were on, Franklin and uh, Ann. Um, and, and after Billy went away, they had this little scene where, where Larry said, you know, Larry's Jewish. And he says, you know, and he, he always asked questions like, like all the rest of, of people who didn't quite understand what was going on would ask. So he said, what, what is, tell me about this born again thing. Uh, and, 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 and why you're telling me about the born again thing. Do, or do you really think that no other religion will go to heaven except for Christians? Well, you should have seen the expression on Franklin and Ann's face. It was like, here's my chance of a lifetime. If I can just put these words together right, I'll convert Larry from Judaism and the rest of America will all become Christians. I mean... I mean, you could just see the firing in their brain. What an opportunity. But they went in and, and explained it biblically, and they did a very good job. But in the end, probably only Christians would have understood what they were talking about. Because we've kind of got this Christianese thing going that only Christians really understand. And so, I don't know. I, I imagine the Holy Spirit was working, and some people came, and some people understood. But, but, but it wasn't... A scene from regular life. The Friday night, I was, I, we were babysitting for our grandson. And, and I was watching a, um, a, a debate. Alan Keyes, very sharp black leader in our country. He was, a, he was a presidential candidate. Have great admiration for this man. Was, de, was debating Alan Dershowitz. Some of you know who that is. Uh, he's, a, he's an agnostic, self-repressed agnostic uh, Jewish 
uh, attorney, uh, was on the O.J. Simpson team, but uh, um, is a Harvard uh, uh, law teacher and very antagonistic uh, in most, that's how he makes a living. He kind of enjoys being antagonistic. So, so these two were going back and forth. It was a fascinating debate, but he went to the same place. He, he went to the place where he conceptualized religion and he, and he said, you Christians, basically say, you Christians are so narrow to just, do you really, let, let, me, let me just kind of stop this conversation right here and put it in regular language. And I'm going to say something that will shock you, but I want you to wait till I get done before you walk out. <laughs> it really doesn't matter what religion you are. Christian, Buddhist, Hindu, Jewish, Islamic, Confucian, Taoist, it doesn't matter. Bible says if you want to go to heaven, all you got to do is live a life worthy of God. All you got to do is live that life that would be just like God's life on earth. Don't ever have a negative thought. Always think the best of people. Always give, never withhold, never, never put yourself before anyone else. Never think a bad thought about somebody. Keep your heart totally pure. And no matter what religion you are, you'll go to heaven. Now that's good news, I guess, for some. <laughs> Romans 2, 13 says, you know, there's a law written in everybody's heart. If they could just keep that law, then they're all right. I don't know, but I belong to a different crowd. I belong to a crowd that can't do that. I belong to a crowd that hasn't lived a pure life. That again and again has not had pure thoughts. That again and again has had animosity toward people. That again and again has placed my, my own interest beyond and, and above and before other people's interests. I'm just one of those people. What about people like me? What does God have for people like me? The Bible says there's good news because he has sent us a savior, a savior. See, here's the important thing. If you're in my crowd, if you're in the boogerhead crowd, if, if, if you're in the poor ornery people crowd, if you have understood that your heart is desperately wicked, and I have been a Christian for 30 years now, and I have followed Christ, and I will follow him all of the days of my life. But I've got to tell you, I don't know that I'll ever have a come to a time in my life when my thought life will be totally pure, my heart will be totally clean. I just don't know that there will be. That's why there's such good news for me, and that's why there's such good for news for you. God has sent a Savior, not another teacher. I know what to do. I just can't quite do it all the time. Not another bunch of ways to behave right. I'm, I've got enough ways to behave right. I can't behave right in all the ways I know. No, he sent a savior. You know what a savior is? A savior comes for the needy. A savior comes for the boogerhead clan that can't quite get it right and will never get it right. But he's there anyhow. And that is good news. And I am so glad because that's exactly what I need. And when I hear that announcement, I know it's for me. Do you know it's for you? 
so the question comes, what happens after you realize it's for you? Well, it forces a decision. Once you have one of those, those realization encounters, those, those times when you know life will never be the same again, then it forces you to a decision. And you almost automatically become a different kind of person. And that carries into your everyday life. Bill Moyers one time was, was, inter, uh, was interviewing someone who had observed uh, the Apollo 17 launch. Now, this is one of the first nighttime launches. Uh, this is back in 1975, so people weren't used to rocket launches. Uh, but there was this whole crowd gathered to watch this, like, 35-story rocket take off. And, and, he, and he noted the, the, uh, the whole tenor, the whole attitude of the crowd before the rocket took off. They were playing around, they were drinking stuff, and they were, you know, goofing off, and some people were kind of getting irritated with one another. But then the countdown happened, and every eye was trained on that rocket. And as that thing counted down, and as that blast off happened, not only did people feel the rumbling of the ground, the tremendous vibrations, and the deafening sound, the roar from the engines, but they saw this blinding light this great um, combustion that, that formed itself into this orange ball of fire that finally disappeared into the sky. And the observer of the crowd said this, you know, afterwards, that was not the same crowd. People were kind of stunned. They were kind of dazed and they got up and, and they were helpful to one another. Nobody was goofing off anymore. It wasn't that they weren't happy, but they knew they had seen something that will impact, would impact them the rest of their life and change the world. And when you hear that Christ is your Savior, He came to die for you, He came to be in your life, then you got to say, okay, where do I go from here? This situation is different. What do I do now? And the shepherds did two things. First of all, they did whatever was necessary to get close to Christ. And that got into their body. Unless it gets into your body, it doesn't get into history. And the Bible says this, when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in a manger. By the way, they found the Lord among the outsiders too. <laughs> And it says, and when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. Here's what they did, and here's what we must do. We must decide we're going to do whatever it takes to see Christ in everyday life. To see Christ in the routine of life. Because until we can do that, Christ is just a concept to us. Everyone who has ever known a has flown a plane, every pilot knows this axiom. That our instincts are less than useful when we're in the clouds. When all we have to look at is the clouds, we can become disoriented very easily. That's how John F. Kennedy's plane Christ because he became disoriented. He had no bearings on land to show him what was up and what was down. Christianity is the same way. If it's just an intellectual concept, then it's less than useful. 
But if we can actually see it on land, actually see it in life, then it's a whole different story. But it takes some effort getting there, and that's not our usual concept in the West. The Zen question is not what do you believe, but what do you practice? That ought to be the Christian concept also, the Christian question also. I, uh, I had an interesting time this time, this semester in my uh, seminary class. I teach practical theology at Reformed Theological Seminary. And I, and, and, uh, I, I, I gave the class. These are, these are all uh, um, people who are about to go into church leadership. And usually, in years past, I've given them books to read and, and say, write me papers on these books and the theories of leadership and management and all that kind of stuff. I decided that was goofy. This year, I was going to give them a real assignment. And I said... I said, I want you to spend a day in the life of your parishioners or of, of anyone who is, who is in your ministry. 24 hours at least. Not 24 hours straight, but 24 hours at least, cumulative total, so that you can be in their home, so that you can go to work with them, so that you can be with them in their kids' uh, uh, ball games, and you can see their life. And then I want you to write me a paper on how the church ought to be rearranged in light of their lives, not in light of leadership concepts. Well, some of them couldn't even do it. I mean, they, they became so disoriented. What do you mean? I said, we've got to arrange the church so that it fits real life. And that's true for our personal faith also. So that it fits real life. Because God doesn't just want us to get around Him. He wants to send us back into the routine that he has us in. Look at what it says in verse 20. And the shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen just as it had been told them. The shepherds went back. One time Gordon MacDonald wrote a paper for a professor and he became so enamored with the paper that to get it just like he wanted it he skipped several classes so that he could get it just perfect. The professor for whom he was writing the paper was one of the classes that he skipped. And when he handed that paper in, the professor read it and he graded it. And then he handed it back to him and said, Gordon, this is a good paper, but it's not a great paper. Do you know why? And Gordon said, why? And he said, because you had to sacrifice the routine in order to write it. I want a paper not about the routine, but from the routine of life. That's what's valuable. God doesn't want a religion about life. He wants a religion in life in our life, and, and as it affects our life, affecting other lives around us. Pray with me. Lord, we're just ordinary people like those shepherds. I mean, I, I know myself, and, and no matter what rank or what respect any of us have, when we look at the picture that we're in, we all have the same reaction. We always look at our image first. When we actually do serve people, we do it joyfully, but not without mentioning or being very cognizant of what it might cost us. When we worship you, we don't just worship you for you. We worship you hoping we'll be better off for worshiping you. Oh, God, we are so self-centered. But you knew that and you came for us anyway. Lord Jesus, come and live in our hearts in such a way that we can feel the release of joy of your unmerited favor. And when we go back and live our regular lives, let people also sense that joy so that we can be your messengers in our everyday world. 
We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.